lots and lots of spoilers. There was no way to know the lifespan of this particular podcast. Could be an hour. Could be two. The only lead I had was a name. And that name was Max Mike Movies! We're at the very end, the total end, of this short series called Our Favorite Things, in which I, the guy who's sly and who doesn't know how to fly, Mike Luce, and that bloke with the cloak who's utterly woke, Max Levine, choose movies that we have watched over and over and over and over and over and over again so you don't have to or something this week it's my turn and i've chosen 1982's blade runner not the sequel which doesn't exist but blade runner by ridley scott it's a so yep we're talking about blade runner 2049 which is the best of the series (laughs) you have been stabbed (laughs) and fired (laughs) (laughs) and it's not a series there's only two it is a big movie and it wants a big serial but first there's this Hey, do you like podcasts? You must love ours. Well, you're tolerating it anyway, and you must tolerate it on, say, our website, which is maxmikemovies.com, where you can listen to any and all of the episodes. They are freshly and separatedly wrapped and sprayed and otherwise neutered for your enjoyment. And protection. And protection. Uh, you may write us if you have any ideas, if you have any comments, any lashbacks, and after next week's episode, we might see some email, uh, which will be us at maxmikemovies.com. Hey, do you like social media? Who doesn't? Social media is wunderbar. Uh, it's unglaublich. It's, uh, Fantastic. All of those things, and, and many other languages to boot. You can find us at Facebook, or on Twitter, or on Spotify, which we have yet to decide. Is Spotify corn? No, wait. Is it a grass? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you can I think find it's us- like drugs. <laughs> drugs are like that. Um, Blade Runner is like that. Uh, you can find us on all of those different platforms at Max Mike Movies. But, Blade Runner... The show. There is trivia. Mr. Brid. He say you braid a runner, Mr. Deckard. (laughs) Yeah, there's trivia. There is a lot of trivia. You will not believe how much trivia I cut out. I don't think I've looked at a page on IMDb for a movie that had more trivia than this. That being said, I got almost none of it from that particular site. I instead watched a documentary on one of my favorite movies called Dangerous Days, that was nearly twice the length of the movie itself. Yeah. So, let's get going. Yes, let's. Budget, $28 million. Take a guess at the overall world take at the time of its original release. $35 million. You're only off by six. It made 41 And by 41, making 41 yeah. I mean it didn't get to pay all its bills. Yeah, <clears> so <throat> that, base, that was not, would not be considered a hit. No, uh, not at all. This was a really hard shoot. Most of the city scenes, uh, no, all of the city scenes had to be shot at night as it was a back lot and it needed to make the redresses of the buildings look better. The funds were limited and this meant also a lot of rain, smoke, and darkness. Uh, This is the same back lot on which they have shot many, many westerns. Uh, uh, many city, uh, I believe actually, I didn't know this, but one of the buildings in the background is the original, uh, Gotham city he- police headquarters from the 1966 Batman <laughs> oh show. Lord. Yeah. So yeah, but it was like, they would start when it was sundown and they would film until the sky started to brighten. So lots of 12 to 15 hour shoots and many days in a row. Some of the styling was influenced by European comics seen in heavy metal magazines, such as a comic called Mechanismo, which the screenwriter wanted to use as the title. Other considered titles included Dangerous Days, which ended up being the name of the documentary. Ridley Scott was initially unavailable to do this movie, as he was supposed to be directing Dune. Oh, dear. Yeah, this would eventually go to David Lynch for reasons no one understands. Least of all me. Dustin Hoffman was not only considered for the part of Deckard, oh boy. but was worked with for a while before they decided that, while athletic, wasn't quite the physical type they wanted. My guess is what they meant was, he's too short. <laughs> Maybe. God, can you imagine? Yeah, yeah, he's definitely a replicant. Yeah, definitely a replicant. 
<laughs> yeah, that's how he'd play it. Too. Uh, Rutger Hauer, however, was cast without having even met the director. He was chosen based on the strength of previous films. When he showed up to meet Ridley Scott, the director of this film, he was wearing an extremely flamboyant and bright outfit just to mess with him. <laughs> I believe in Ridley Scott's word, it was he was wearing a bright, shiny, puce jumpsuit, and I forget what else. But oh, like, Lord, yeah. you don't need anything yeah. else. Apparently, Rutger Hauer thought this was hilarious. Um <laughs> So, uh, a number of women were considered for the part of Pris, and they were given access to makeup and other things like the wardrobe to build their own version of the character. Daryl Hannah, who eventually got the part, based her look on... Can you guess? No, you can't. She based her look on Klaus Kinski's role in Nosferatu. <laughs> okay, she didn't do a very good job. Uh, she's a lot better looking than That's Klaus Kinski. That's the problem. Oh, Klaus well, you Kin- Have you seen Nosferatu? Yes. Huh? Yes. Yeah. He she, he don't look nothing like that. Well, apart he wasn't white, wearing the same outfit. Apart from the white skin. I mean, that's... Yeah. Uh, Joanna Cassidy, who plays Zora, had a one up on other actors for her part. She'd not only worked with snakes before, but the one used in the film was hers. Oh. It was, na- it was named Darling. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Joanna Cassidy, who we all remember as Dolores from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, just a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, City Speak was a total invention of Edward James Olmos. It is a combination of a few different languages, including German, Japanese, and Chinese, but is predominantly Hungarian. Sure. And, and apparently, when the film plays in Hungary, people laugh their asses off because of what some of the things he's saying. Uh, I believe at one point he calls Deckard a horse dick, but there you go. <laughs> uh, the Tyrell, the Dr. Tyrell that Roy Batty kills is originally meant to be a replicant. There was a scene written that would show his realization and then his climb to a higher office in which he finds the crypt with the frozen body of his maker. This would fuel his final rage, but they ran out of money and they couldn't shoot it. Too bad. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I thought that was actually very interesting. The the documentary is very interesting, but it is over three and a half hours long. So let my people go. Um, The jump between buildings that Roy Batty makes at the end of the film was done by Rutger Hauer himself. They'd done it in rehearsal enough times that the stuntman was worn out. Hauer told told Scott that if they moved the building literally one foot closer, he could easily do it. They did. He did. (laughs) Wow. Well, he he is a hell of a specimen, Rutger Hauer. He is. He is apparently was a uh, a practice mountain climber or a rock climber. So that this was like eh. Um, all of those famous Dutch mountains. I don't remember any when I was there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind That's of what flat. I mean. It's kind of, uh, it floods I a lot. I guess he climbed uh, a lot of windmills. I don't know. Well, you know, uh, you may not know this, but the Dutch people are not required to stay in the boundaries of their country. Sure they are. That's what they have all those dikes for. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, Roy Batty's last lines, which include, they will all be lost like tears in the rain, were written by Rutger Hauer. His speech okay. orig- was was originally full of a lot more references to things not seen in the movie. So the, you know, off the shoulder of Orion, et cetera, et cetera. There was apparently paragraphs of this stuff, of the things he'd seen. And Rutger Hauer was like, um, yeah, could I not do that? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I mean, it's up- already confusing enough. What the hell is the Tannhauser Gate? What are sea yeah. beams? Well, Tannhauser Gate's in Germany, but whatever. Um, that being said, it is one of the most memorable lines of the film. Uh, and they liked it. They we did this. He improvised it at a table read. They liked it so much they kept it in. Um, Gaff's line after Batty's death was cut in half and would shed a very different light on Deckard's character. Um, and I should have said this earlier, but for those who have not seen the film, there's kind of a lot of speculation in this film and a lot of stuff not said. And there's a lot of, I wouldn't say it's a twist, but if you have not seen the film, you might want to stop now and go watch it. Um, not only because we highly recommend it, but because yeah, Gaff's line after Batty's death was cut in half and would have shed a very different light on Deckard's character. It is in full. You did a man's job, sir, which is the part we hear. The rest of the line is, but are you sure you're a man? Oh, all right. And highlighting the idea that Deckard might be a replicant. Correct. Yeah. Uh, but yes, it is filmed. I saw it in the in the in the huh. documentary. 
Related to that, there are shots right after Deckard and Rachel are close that clearly show the same red glow in Deckard's eyes, but they were edited out. Mm. There was actually a big um, to-do about this, and it had been discussed before there was an online thing. It had been discussed in fan clubs and stuff for years, was Deckard a replicant? Yeah. We'll get into that later. And the official word for a long time was no. Um, That's certainly what Harrison Ford said, and it's certainly what um, Rutger Hauer was led to believe. And it turns out that Harrison Ford had spoken with Ridley Scott before the film saying, I want it in writing that he's not a, a replicant. And apparently, yeah, and apparently Ridley Scott said, okay, and then went and filmed <laughs> these things anyway, and has since said in interviews, yeah, he is. <laughs> uh, which pissed both Rutger Hauer and, and Harrison Ford off, but we'll get to that. Yeah. The original theatrical cut, which is not the version we are watching, we are watching the so-called director's cut, and we'll get to that too, of this movie had a voiceover added, and it was as it was felt by Studio Brass that the movie was too confusing without some kind of explanation. While many people have criticized it, four different sources claim credit for coming up with the idea, and Scott claims never to have been against it. Harrison Ford hated doing it, thought it pointless and weird in outtakes from some of the unused portions, which are also in the documentary. And it's really funny because he'll sit there and read this line and go, that was weird. (laughs) (laughs) Just not interesting. Yeah. The tacked on happy ending was indeed tacked on. It really, you could tell the first time I saw it, I was like, this doesn't fit the rest of the movie. Yeah, they literally drive into the sunset. I wish I could describe it another way, but that's what they do. Uh, The studio felt the movie was too much of a downer, so wanted scenes of Deckard and Rachel literally driving off into the sunset. So they strapped a spinner onto a truck, stuck Ford and Young in it, and added a dash of unused footage from The Shining. (laughs) Really? That was on The Shining? Yep. And they had... uh, they had Kubrick's permission. Uh, he said, as long as you don't use any footage that was actually in the movie, I don't care. And Kubrick is well known for shooting way more footage than he needs. Something like <laughs> 10 to 20 times more footage than he needs. Yeah, or more. Yeah. Uh, this film had a lot of competition the year it came out. Not least of which was from, can you guess? But 1982? I don't, I, yep. I don't know. E.T. Oh, yes. And John Carpenter's pretty amazing remake of The Thing. One of the other things that was to hamper its chances were the fact that the other big movies of the year were outstandingly positive (laughs) and that people were just not in the mood for something dark. The original opening of this film, which would introduce the Deckard character, was basically recycled shot for shot for the opening for the sequel, Blade Runner 2049, which never happened. Though it's mentioned that six replicants escaped and one was killed, it's thought to be a mistake that there's one never dealt with in the film. There was a fifth replicant character, but she was not able to be filmed due to the budgetary constraints. This is supposedly Scott's favorite movie of his own, um, with the 2007 final cut being his uh, favorite version. He's wrong. We'll talk about (laughs) that, too. The version we're watching, the so-called director's cut, wasn't any such thing. A 70mm print was found in the Warner Archive and was believed to be the international cut. A local 70mm film festival requested the print, and it was sent sight unseen. When it was found to be a totally different cut, it was highly requested, and there were sold-out shows. Warner re-released this version as the director's cut, though Scott had not approved it as such. There wasn't time to fix it, so it was released the way they found it, which, to be fair was actually uh, uh, Scott's cut in the first place, which had removed the horrible voiceover. There really is tons and tons more, but I'm going to stop there. Okay. The show's nearly half over. (laughs) And now, the plot. We've said it before, we're going to say it again, strap in. Mm. (laughs) Or on. (laughs) It's the far-flung future of 2019. Ooh. Right. Last year. Yeah. Earth has become inundated with pollution. Most of the animal population has died. There are off-world colonies that the richer folk flock to, hoping to make a new start. Because the poorer folks can't make the trek, technology has responded with replicants, artificially made humans who think, breathe, and otherwise act just like the real thing, except for one major detail. They only live for four years. When dead, they're tossed aside and new ones take their place. Dissatisfied with this, four replicants escape the off-world colonies and make it back to Earth to confront the company that made them and try to live longer than four years. This is illegal. 
Any replicants on Earth are destroyed or retired on site by specially trained police called Blade Runners. When these four arrive, one of them being tested to see if he is indeed a replicant kills the top Blade Runner. This causes Rick Deckard, an ex-Blade Runner, to be reinstated so that he can retire the four replicants. As he hunts them, he encounters Rachel, a new higher-end replicant that's so perfectly made she doesn't even know she's a replicant. Knowing that he's going to have to eventually deal with her as well, Deckard still falls in love. Oh, Can I get an awe? Oh, Thank you. Slowly, he tracks his target, taking one of them down. A second is shot by Rachel when he tries to kill Deckard. The last two are getting closer and closer to their maker, Dr. Tyrell, in hopes that he can answer their needs about what they are and how they can gain more life. Deckard, sh Deckard shoots the third but the last, Roy Batty, turns the tables and starts to chase Deckard. In a final showdown, Deckard not only confronts Roy Batty, but the very idea of what life itself means. Batty's life comes to an end as programmed in front of a stunned Deckard. Escaping with Rachel, even knowing what she is and that their lifetime is likely as short as Batty's, Deckard ducks his job and flees for whatever life they have. Into The Shining. The Lowdown. We'll say at that hotel up there, it looks nice. <laughs> I love that maze. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah, the caretaker shiny. seems like a sweetheart. It, <laughs> it's so shiny. <laughs> um... I love those twins. Anyway, we're talking about Blade Runner. <laughs> ah. A Ridley Scott film. So, Max, uh, I want. did we see it together? I don't think so, because I think you were in school. You were in college. 82? Yeah, I think I saw it uh, when I was in college. I think yeah. I came back at, during one of the vacations and saw it again with you. Okay. But uh, the first time I saw it, it was, I don't think so. Do you remember, I know it's a long time ago, do you remember your reaction to it upon initially seeing it? Uh... Yeah, I was I was kind of blown away by the way it looked. Yep. I, I mean, I I thought it was I I have to admit I liked it, but I wasn't as enamored of it or ensnared as a lot of people were. I thought it, I thought again the look was like nothing I'd ever seen. This is like pre Matrix, pre anything. A lot. And it was again one of the first like wow, this is science fiction, but everything looks dark and unpleasant. That's weird. You know, yeah, science fiction up to then, I was always, oh, we have bright lights and silver lame jumpsuits and lightsabers and what have you. <laughs> Thank you, the Apple. Um, <laughs> I didn't see that until recently. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, thank God it's not a musical. <laughs> I, I remember thinking it was re it was really impressive. I remember also thinking, wow, Harrison Ford is so wooden. I'm surprised he doesn't have Dutch elm disease. Well, of course, we'd have to leave that to Rutger Hauer. Hey, Rutger Hauer. Because he's Dutch, you know. Yeah, I like. I thought he was amazing. I also yeah, remember he looking and thinking, like, okay, does it, what does this mean? I think that is one of the most beautiful men I've ever seen. <laughs> well, in your case, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I mean, he, in that movie, he is just stunning, this Nordic god. Yeah. Yeah, and he's not wearing very much either. He runs around with the a, last. Yeah. Yeah, that works for him. Uh, but uh, I would say that leading to the this the thought that uh, Harrison Ford's performance was wooden was the abysmal voiceover. Yeah, that that I have to say, uh, I I don't think I had seen this version that you had me watch before. Which most of it isn't that different, except for the, uh, there's no. like one image and the ending, but the lack of voiceover improves the movie so much. It really does. Voiceover is so annoying, and I found completely unnecessary. Yes, and I said earlier that uh, the the final cut, which is supposedly the real director's cut by Ridley Scott, puts it back in. Oh, really? Oh, yes, yes. Why? And so this is why I don't know. Um, this is why I, I disagree with with. Um, Ridley Scott's choice in this matter. Uh, usually, the director's cut is like the full vision. Well, apparently. This version, the one we're watching, the 1992 supposed director's cut, uh, was made by him. And he had made it, and they'd stashed it away, and nobody had seen it since. And uh -huh. then 10 years later, they dug it up, and it's like, oh, what's, oh, we'll send this off. And nobody knew. And as soon as they showed it, they're like, people were like, oh, can we see this again? And <laughs> they did. They, they re-released it for its 10th anniversary, because I remember. I lucked out. Somebody I knew at the time was a projectionist in Boston. Oh, okay. And he said, hey, there's a press screening of the director's cut of Blade Runner, do you want to see it basically alone in the biggest theater in Boston? 
uh, which see at that point sat 800 something people. And I was like, yes, please. And so I went and there was like maybe half a dozen press there. Everyone very quiet. Everyone spread out. And I got to see this version in what is now a defunct theater in uh, 1992. And I fell in, that's when I fell in love with it. When I first saw it, I thought it was kind of confusing. Like, I think it's cool, but I don't think I get it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I found a lot parts of it confusing because the, the movie raises a lot of questions it doesn't answer. It brings up a lot of stuff. There's a lot that you don't see and that you don't know, which in some ways is very challenging for a viewer because you can fill it in yourself. But, right. it, you know, it, it's also a lot of, it's more work. Right. And of course, you know, Hollywood thinks people don't like that. And to be fair, at least initially, they were right. But of course, when you're up against films like E.T. Yeah. and it's like, oh, happy. Okay. Well, yeah, but you can you cannot tell me John Carpenter's version of The Thing was happy and upbeat. And it didn't do well either. Yeah. Um, and it's too bad because like the original thing is is actually for its time is a pretty decent little science fiction thriller. John Carpenter's a thing was like, what's this? This is really cool. I don't like monster movies much, but I like that. Yeah, um, that's very much a. It's way more of a horror movie than a thriller or a science fiction movie. Yeah, but it's got some good psychological tension in it. Yeah, this film is nearly actionless. <laughs> well, not really. Deckard at one point gets the crap kicked out of him by all four replicants. Uh, he doesn't, well, I guess yeah, he, does, he does, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yeah, he, all four of them. Yeah. Uh, that's the funny thing about Deckard. It's like, oh, we need the old Blade Runner magic. He's like, who was your second choice? Yes. <laughs> well, the second guy was blown away in a conference room, so. And interestingly, there was scenes shot with him afterwards. I thought he died. Yeah, so did I. They, well, they said he can breathe okay as long as they don't unplug him. Yeah, no, they, they, they sadly didn't. I don't know if it's in the deleted scenes or whatever, but there are scenes of him talking to that guy oh. afterwards. Hmm. It's like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, and the central crux of the film is something that it skirts and it kind of does deal with, but does it in such a vague way that, like you said, a lot of people don't even know what's going on. So the first when the film first came out, I don't remember anybody talking about the possibility of Deckard being a replicant. Yeah, I don't think, Nobody. yeah, I don't remember that for a long time. I heard about it year, a few years later when people were talking to death about it on the, uh, not the message boards, but like, you know, science fiction magazines and such and conventions. Yeah. And the thing is, is that most of the things that would suggest that he was a replicant had been edited out. And one of the most major scenes that got edited out was a dream sequence where Deckard is sitting at the piano, just sort of drifting off. And we suddenly go to this nearly inexplicable shot of a unicorn running through the woods. And a lot of people thought, oh, he just threw this in from the next film he would make, which was Legend, which we are not going to talk about. (laughs) Uh, But oh man, was I disappointed because I thought, wow, he just made this brilliant, amazing looking science fiction film. And of course, being D&D nerds, it's like, oh my God, Ridley Scott's going to do a fantasy film. This is going to be odd. No, it's not. Yeah, yeah. We we aren't talking about that. But yes, and then at the end, like literally the last scene... He sees one of Gans's little origami deals because Gans keeps, you know, gaff, gaff, excuse me, keeps throwing yep. them together. And this one's of a unicorn. Right. And it makes no sense. It, yeah. I remember thinking that in because in the first version of the movie I saw, which had the which didn't have the unicorn shot. Right. You know, it's like well, I just thought, oh, that's just a, his gaff's way of telling him he was at the apartment and just chose not to kill Rachel. I didn't yeah, think so the symbolism. Know. Yeah. It just gets lost. Like tears and rain. Stop it. (laughs) Uh, And then when you put that scene back in, it's suddenly, oh, things just got a lot more interesting. Because what if Deckard's a replicant? And he's what has he got in his apartment that he is showing all of the replicants don't matter in their life? All of those pictures. Stacks of photos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my feeling, and I, I woke up one morning... Uh, it just came to me. I literally woke up one morning and it's like, oh, not only is Deckard a replicant, he's got Gaff's memories. That's what it is. And that's oh. why he, that's why Deckard, uh, that's why Gaff makes the unicorn because he knows that it's been a dream of his own. Also, Gaff has a walking stick. 
he's no longer able to do his job. And this is why he doesn't like Deckard. At least this is all my theory. He doesn't like right? Deckard because Deckard replaced him. And he replaced him with his skills and his memories and stuff. And so... It's an interesting that, idea. I don't think there's a lot of evidence to support it. Uh, I think the unicorn is a direct uh, reason to support it. Because mm. where else would that come from? It's not a symbol of anything. I think it might. It, you could you could just say that Gaff knows about Deckard's memories the same way Deckard knows about Rachel's. They're in a file. Yeah, but it also explains why Gaff doesn't like him. Um, we don't talk. But we anything know why about he doesn't like him. Gaff was brown nosing for a t- for a promotion. <laughs> Not in this version, yeah, we, he wasn't. We hear that in the voiceover. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's so funny if you watch the documentary, listening to those outtakes from the um, the voice recording with Harrison Ford. It is plainly obvious he does not want to be there. Yeah. Uh, and there's an interview with him later. It's like I was contractually obligated; I had to do it. So, you know. I also and there was ton- where believe it or not, there was tons they left out. There's tons more voiceover they didn't put in the film. Yeah. Anyway, I'm Just sorry. As well, like thing, there are a bunch of things I, I never got. Like, where's the term Blade Runner come from? At first, it <laughs> seems like it's a nickname for him. When, when uh, what, what's his name, M. Emmett Walsh tells him, you know, need the old Blade Runner, and then yeah. it turns. Then when he's identifying himself to another cop, he identifies himself specifically as a Blade Runner, like it's a title. Did you did you look it up, or do you know where the title comes from? Because it doesn't come from Philip K. Dick. I d- no, I know, I knew that much because. The, the, you know that's not even the title of the short story but uh, no i don't know where what it is uh, it's from william s burroughs oh. <laughs> he wrote a book and he actually wrote a screenplay based on his book but a blade runner was actually i think uh somebody who was running uh black market medical supplies so they were literally running scalpels and stuff like that which that doesn't made make a lot any, more sense that doesn't make any sense in this context no, <laughs> they just like the word. I guess they just liked how it sounded. All right, fine. Yeah, that's it. So yeah, it's not in New Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, yeah. um, which is the original novella. I guess it's a novella. It's not. Really yeah, a, it's kind of long to be long a short enough. story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you read it? No, I tried to once, but I I've read a, a few Philip K. Dick stories, and my problem is, after every one of them, I just want to get in a warm bathtub with a razor blade. Max, are you saying you don't like Dick? <laughs> Uh, well, I think we established that. Uh, Except for Rutger Hauer, I would not um, kick. I would not kick 1982 Rutger Hauer out of my bed. Well, he's yeah, kind of dead now. But <clears throat> uh, yeah, I feel the same way. He comes up with interesting ideas, um, but I don't enjoy his books. Yeah, I like the way he. I think he handles language very well, but his, everything is so bleak and dark, and also just slightly off. There's always yeah. something in it that's just slightly. All right, this guy is seeing something I don't see. Yeah, and I you don't know if it's something he took or just how his mind works. I don't know. And a lot of people really love Philip K. Dick's yeah. work. I've tried. I've read a bunch of short stories. I read Do Android Dreams of Electric Sheep and just, you know, didn't grab me. This is the only example I can think of of a book that's been adapted into a movie where I like the movie a lot better than I like the book. Yeah. And uh, apparently Dick liked what he saw. Uh, he didn't live to see the film completed, but he saw some of the special effects footage. Uh-huh. And apparently he was bowled over and he was like, how did you do that? Huh. That's what I was look- That's what I was picturing. How did you get in my head and make this? That's nice. All right. I'm glad he liked that. But uh, going back to any earlier points, you were talking about that it, it approaches some of the issues, but it doesn't out and out obviously deal with them. And yeah. the big issue is what... Is does it mean to be alive? What well, is it's not it mean not to just be? that. I, I, yeah, technically, part of it is what is the nature of life, but also they really kind of dance around. They touch on it, but they don't do much with the fact that replicants are a slave race. Yep. They're very clearly sentient. They're improvements on human beings, which we'll come to that. That there's a couple of things I have problems with there, but they they've progress they've built them. Not because they had to. The the obvious the implication is uh, they can't be remade, but there's probably no reason you couldn't design a replicant from the ground up who did not have a four year lifespan. And there's an implication that um, Rachel, who's not an Nexus six, but something above that, a seven or whatever, may not have that issue. Where is that implied? 
I um, did. Because, I was watching for that. The only time I ever heard anything about that was in one of the original silly version with the voiceover, where he actually says, "Terrell told me Rachel was special. No termination date." That's it. That. Where, I mean, that's pretty blankly stated. Yes, but that wasn't in the version we saw. In the version we saw, there is nothing to imply she's going to die any long, and she's going to have any kind of a lifespan more than four years. Nothing. No. And I actually find it more interesting that she may just be another four-year yeah. replicant. Um, but in the original movie, as you pointed out, they actually come out and state it. So... And to answer your question, originally it's there, but later on, in, in the good version, it's not. And again, I think it's more interesting. I also, you also get the feeling he knows that because she says, "You've seen my files, the incept date, the termination date," right. and he gets really uncomfortable. And I assume because he doesn't want to tell her, "Yeah, I know exactly when you're going to die." <laughs> yeah, that's kind of aw- that's awkward talk. Well, it yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? And there's a lot of other science fiction um, that kind of tries to deal with this and never really comes to a, a strict conclusion either. Star Trek Next Generation had a couple of really interesting episodes with Data. Oh, yeah. Where it's like... The measure well, of a man. He, mm-hmm. Yeah. Is he alive or not? And, of course, in that episode, Picard says he's a life form. He fills all the criteria. Just because he was manufactured, he is growing he is changing he is able to reason he's all these things you know whatever alan Turing's test was he can more than do that um so just because he's mechanical doesn't mean he's not a life form yeah. and therefore he should be granted the same rights that we grant any other life form um but then they kind of don't deal with that later on in the show yep. they also yeah. don't deal with the fact that this the enterprise's computer um is pretty sentient uh, they just I well, okay. That's is. a whole other argument for that's that's something else. It isn't though, because it's basically saying here's a manufactured intelligence that is showing that it is capable of all of these different things that you would describe to a living being. Except it doesn't it, seem to have any kind of growth or emotion. And the only things, the only times it changes is when it's physically upgraded. Well, there are episodes where they do deal with that, um, but we're talking fifty years worth of. Yeah. backlog yeah. but it, it's something again that they could easily have dealt with and would have been really interesting but they kind of like maybe it'll show up for an episode and then they don't talk about it well, they deal with it on the holodeck they ask if holodeck characters are real or if uh what's it well there you go yeah because yeah. <laughs> who makes those true right? true they're all they're all individual programs and there i love there's actually an episode again next generation where that question comes up and picard's like i don't know yeah yeah <laughs> uh Oh, well, can we just put him in, like, a zip drive and not think about it for a while? <laughs> yeah, I have to say that really kind of, that was, I get why they did it, because they had opened a, I was like, oh, don't do it, don't do it. Oh, God, you opened the can of worms. Oh, really? Yeah. And they yeah. kind of cheat on the way out. This is with the Professor Moriarty character. Yeah. They do some of that in Voyager with the holographic doctor, but we're, we're yeah. again, getting kind of far afield. So it's actually, I think that's part of the, the background of the movie because the I, they're saying yes the replicants are superior to us in not just physically and mentally but it appears to be morally it's a real condemnation of humanity yep saying look we're yeah we're building sentient slaves we're not it wasn't enough for us to just build some say mindless automatons to do what we needed we had we actually built people I'm also yep. curious as to what goes into the building and why it's so hard. These guys are stronger. I mean, their muscle density must be insanely high. Uh, they must weigh more. They they can move. Their reflexes are faster. Why is it so hard to tell what what they are? Well, it's the there's one big. <sighs> I like to overlook plot point in the beginning of the film because Leon works for Tyrell Corporation and they need to come test him to see if he's a replicant when they are the ones who made him. <laughs> yeah, you would think they would have a secret kind of, okay, well, just, you know, check the uh, in, your index finger under this color light and look, up, there's the there's a serial number. Yeah, and well, why did they at least... Well, looks at a slideshow of them. Yeah. So it's like they know what he looks like. Yeah. But I guess, I mean, to be fair, that pyramid is gigantic. So, uh, whatever. That's fine. I, I I would think that they'd be able to just look it up, but whatever. By the way, what do we know what city that's supposed to be? It is Los Angeles. It, is it Los says Angeles. so. Okay. Yep. I thought so. There's also, I think, a little sort of jab at the 
Los Angeles police force because it's very clear the police in this city have pretty much absolute power. Remember what he said? You're not cop anymore. You're little people. And even Rachel, when she says, I can't see this, they're classified. She goes, but you're a policeman. Not you're a millet, you're in the army or you're in the intelligence. You're a cop, meaning you have access to anything. I mean, it could be. Um, It is a weird view of the world. And obviously they meant it to look like the future, but not too far into the future. And it quite honestly wasn't far enough, but you know, whatever. Um, And this is one of the reasons that the tacked on ending really does not work because you sit there and look at Los Angeles, which is at one point obviously had been horrendously crowded and built up and just smoggy and ucky and now is nearly empty because so many people have gone to the off-world colonies and the end of the film is like well let's just drive a little further north and we can yeah, go to big sur and all these lovely places that why aren't people living there we're up in wine country and the weather's <laughs> nice and there's no smog and, yeah. oh so if we just get out of the la basin everything's fine <laughs> yeah like really you couldn't all go live in san diego or san I, francisco or something i hear arizona's nice yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, so, that really undercuts it because I liked the idea that the whole world is like this now. Right. And that and was that's the idea. Kind of in the what's novel. implied, yeah. Yeah. And um so getting a, again back to one of your points, they they built these people. And some of them they built, and they say this in the movie, they basically built them to be prostitutes. So yeah. like, oh, right. we're going to create you so you can go and have sex for money, which you probably don't get to keep yeah. either. Sentient uh, sex toys. I mean, yeah. that's really what is it he describes Pris? Standard pleasure model. Yikes! Yeah. And on her, I, one of the things I like about watching on video is I could freeze frame certain things, like when they're showing the profiles of all of the replicants. Yep. And she's listed as military slash leisure. Yeah. And so she probably was like assigned to, you know, military barracks or some other yeah. horrible thing. Yeah. Um, she was which, a, a mechanic, basically a, an engineered comfort woman. Yike. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Roy Batty did whatever Roy Batty did, which could have been... Advanced anything. combat. Yeah, he was okay. like an elite combat unit. That was the other thing that was odd. I was looking at the incept dates for all of them. Yep. Roy, Roy's was 2016. Why is he dying in 2019? Because uh, he... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, of course, we don't know what, what time of year it is in 2019. It could be December 31st. There you go. See? There, you just answered your own question. Yeah. Uh, he was the only one who actually dies of his incept date. The other ones yeah. are, all, are all killed. Right. Um, and, you know, I... Apparently, one of the reasons that Rutger Hauer specifically hated the idea of Deckard being a replicant is he said, well, it ends up not being a fight between a human and a replicant. It's just two two replicants fighting. And to me, the important part is that it's a replicant who doesn't know he's a replicant. And that's the interesting, the most interesting part of the film. And Rachel doesn't know either until finally. And he even says at one point, how can it not know what it is? Yeah. And it's like, well, if nobody tells it, it is as alive as anybody else. Why should it know? Why shouldn't she know? What is that dividing line? And I think that that's what Deckard eventually realizes, is that I don't know that there is one. She's as much as a person as anybody I've met, and he cares for her, although the one scene with him is a little rapey. Um, yeah, that scene did not age well. Not only did, well, apparently there was a much longer scene, and it ended up looking a lot more sensuous and a lot less rapey, but they cut it for time. And so, yeah, because he does, he slams the door, doesn't let her leave his apartment, he throws her up against a wall. And he makes her it's, say, you, I want you, which is gross. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I didn't like that part either. Um, although, in a way, it's interesting because it looks like he's struggling to... to react the way a human would because he doesn't know he isn't one um and in that case suddenly his performance is not only more excusable not only because they get rid of the stupid voiceover but again the the questions of the film become more interesting and that's one of the things i like about this film is it doesn't answer anything and it and it does it well so it makes you think and it's good for rewatching. um besides harrison ford what did you think of the other performances i think a lot of them are really good I mean, I really like, to me, one of the most tragic figures is poor J.F. Sebastian. Oh, yeah. Who, admittedly, now, whenever I see him, it's really hard. All I can think is, hi, I'm J.F. Sebastian. This is my brother, Daryl. This is my other brother, Daryl. Because William Sanderson played that character on Newhart for like eight years. And 
it's really hard to separate him from that. Even yeah. though the character, the guy's a good actor. The characters are nothing alike. Yeah. But I can't help it. But he's, it's really kind of, it's an interesting choice because Pris and Roy use him shamelessly. Yep. And it takes away from some of the sympathy you might feel for them. Even though you do, you understand they're trying to stay alive. They don't want to get murdered. They don't want to die after only four years. And it also, they lose a certain amount of moral high ground that way. Yeah. Because it, everything they're doing to him from the beginning is manipulation. This yeah. poor, lonely guy who's suffering from this made-up, admittedly, uh, nope. medical condition. I looked this up. There is no such thing as Methuselah syndrome. No, it's progeria. And it is That's a, real, a variant. Yeah, but, yeah. It is, but it is a real uh, disease. Yeah, you do. You age fast. Yeah. Basically, your body, yeah, your body clock is thrown off. And he, you know, he was, I don't know if Sanderson must have been in his 40s or something at that point, but he's, the character is supposed to be 25. So, like the replicants, he has a short lifespan. And that, you know, gives him something in common. And his life is so, it's both cute and creepy and sad. Yeah. His apartment is full of, as he says, his friends. And they're robots, they're toys that he's made. Yeah. Because he's a genetic engineer. Yeah. He was very good. Um, I, I like his Darryl car, Hannah. too. His, <laughs> his, his car, little truck. His yeah. car is adorable. Daryl Hannah does a great job. Yeah. She also, just so you know real quick, when she runs away from him, slips, and shoves her arm through the glass, uh-huh. uh, it was not breakaway glass. And she, to this day, has, uh, she had seven chips, no, I'm sorry, eight chips out of her elbow for that. Ooh. <laughs> but they kept it in. She was a trooper. You know, they, they, that was the oh. shot they used. Um, yeah. You get these little, like... Uh, th- when they're talking to the guy who designs the eyes, it's like, oh my God, it's David Lopan. <laughs> James okay. Hong. James yeah. Hong. Yeah, apparently really shot in a freezer. So that was really uncomfortable for everybody. <laughs> I'll bet. Especially because Roy and Leon are supposed to look like it's not bothering them at all. Yeah. And I mean, the guy who plays Leon, whose name, uh, Brian, I can't remember Brian's last name. He was okay. He wasn't great, but what he did, he uh, he was great for the part. Yeah. That's sort of brute, but also kind of childlike. And that uh, desperation they all have. Yeah. I'm guessing that, was, that this is probably something that's happened before, and they may have gotten further than any other replicants had ever got. One thing that, I, a question I was never entirely sure of is Zora, who, <laughs> her day job is just creepy. Yeah, and hey, be glad they originally were going to film that, the stuff we didn't see. Ah, there, yes. Yeah. She's basically doing a live sex show with a boa constrictor. That was hers. That, yeah, like, that makes it better. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, and then, why does she attack Decker? Is it, I never was sure, is, does she just think he's a pervert? Because I gotta say, that's one of the moments where, oh, wow, Deckard can act? Where did that come from? Yeah. Is he I, pretending to be, like, some, <laughs> the, uh, the moral turpitude center or whatever guy? Yeah. And, and she, you know, almost, she basically tries to kill him. Does she realize he's a cop? Or does she just think he's a pervert? I think the idea is that she's supposed to realize that he's a cop. I mean, because quite honestly, the audience is made up of perverts, so why would she care? Uh, uh, yeah. But uh, I, that's my feeling, is that okay. by, by this time... Um, oh, no, she's the first one who gets killed. Yeah, she is. Yeah. She doesn't know, but she knows that they'd well, be looking for them, probably. That's my guess. That's my guess. Yeah. Uh, and she, does a, she does a really nice job. She's just, you know, she gets, what, eight lines, if that. Yeah. No, she's fine. Um, I, I felt bad too because she she isn't given a lot to do, um, but you know I all of the people who played the replicants, Rutger Hauer being the best. Yeah, uh, the oh, dove was his idea too. That was totally his idea. Um, I remember thinking you've been watching a lot of John Woo movies, haven't you? <laughs> um, the the sad part is is that at the end when they shoot the scene where he sits down and does says time to die and he does, yeah. and the dove takes off. Yeah, the dove doesn't take off. The dove was soaked. And so when he lets go, the dove literally hops out of his hand and just walks away, (laughs) (laughs) which leads to the only shot in the film that I absolutely hate, which is the blue sky, the blue sky, um, which makes flies off and suddenly miraculously, despite the fact I thought it was nighttime, it still was, (laughs) you can't can't really tell, but 
It's Suddenly just, the dove is flying up into this one tiny patch of blue sky that shows up. Above a building we've never seen before. Yes. It's terrible. It is a terrible pickup shot, and I've always hated it. Um, I, I don't think they end up fixing it either. I think they Oddly it enough, it's also one of the only really heavy-handed symbolic moments. Yeah. Visually. It's like, oh, he's died. Look, the dove, which is often used as a signifier of the soul, is flying up to heaven. It's like, oh, come on. You haven't done anything that in your face this whole movie. Maybe it was a nod to the audience who they were afraid wouldn't get anything, which uh, they weren't wrong. <laughs> it is it is a difficult film. I will not disagree with that. Yeah, um, It's not an easy film, but it really, when you see how much it's influenced, I mean, good heavens, <laughs> I pretty much keep it expecting him to bump into someone who goes, Hi, I know Kung Fu. No, you don't. <laughs> it, I mean, The Matrix, all of those gritty, dark-looking science fiction, which there have been so many, owe so much to that. Uh, a lot of MTV apparently owes yeah. a lot to this. Um, yes, a lot of music videos, a lot aspect, weird aspects of fashion. Yes, all sorts of all sorts of stuff. It's it is such an influential movie. And this, there was a, a very short-lived, and I'm, I'm sorry, I don't think any of the current stuff being made under this banner really counts, but there was a, a short-lived, for reasons, uh, subgenre of science fiction called cyberpunk. Oh, yeah. um, the reason that cyberpunk, I say, doesn't exist, I mean, I guess it's, I could. Of course it is, did. What did you mean it did? Because most of the technology that was supposed to happen in that, we've actually found different ways of doing it, and so we don't need to do a lot of the things that showed up in cyberpunk. Well, to, um, a, to a degree, the literal stuff. It's the same with Blade Runner. I mean, some of the tech in Blade Runner, it's like, wow, look at the flying cars. Wow, look at the weird-ass gun. Look at that magic photo scanner that can look around corners. And then look at those CRT monitors with green, with <laughs> green letters on black backgrounds. Look at the, my God, this is not even in 1982 that we had those. But and that, but this is to me, this is one of two, if not the only, but the greatest pillars of cyberpunk. This. And William Gibson's Neuromancer. And apparently, yeah. William Gibson went to see Blade Runner uh, after he'd started Neuromancer, but well before he'd finished it. He lasted 20 minutes. He ran out of the theater because, oh, dear God, this is starting to look exactly like what I'm writing. And he didn't, <laughs> he didn't want to be influenced, so he left. Uh, yeah, um, no, I, I, wrote a, I remember in graduate school, I wrote a paper on cyberpunk, and I, I cite uh, Blade Runner as one of the earliest influences Oh, yeah, I think visually it basically wrote the book. Um, the only thing they don't do is they don't have little jacks in your head, which is a very cyberpunky thing where you well, can... Yeah, com well, this was more about bioengineering. It really, yeah. the computer aspect isn't what they focus on. No. Um, and to be fair, in that essence, it's not cyberpunk because cyberpunk has a lot to do with body enhancements and connecting to the what would become the World Wide Web, um, being jacked in, as it were. But it um, does have to do... have cover the same thing as what is sentience and what is real i mean our artificial intelligence is people that shows up that's a big theme in uh, in cyberpunk yeah um because as people start to replace more and more of themselves you have to wonder what's well, like when are you not human anymore or do we need to redefine human and i'm going to ask you a question that i probably know the answer to but do you think in this movie as they're presented replicants are people yeah they they clearly are they have the the will to live the desire to live they have all of the same faults that human beings do, the willingness to, you know, the selfishness, the self-centeredness. They're not these noble, holy creatures who are like, ah, I will accept <laughs> like, my lot. And, like trains? <laughs> like trains, holy, blameless creatures, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, the way they're presented, they are people. They, they love, they fear, they have all the same emotions, they have the same kind of desires i mean they talk about them as like they don't have emotions yeah that's obviously not true yeah no they obviously do They've, and in, in a way they are emotionally superior because they're able to become complete people by having memories implanted in them not having experienced them i don't know what the difference is but i'm guessing that rachel isn't Tyrell's niece like she is a different person than Tyrell's niece is uh, there was a part in, in the original script one of the original scripts where the reason that Tyrell made her was because his niece had died at a young age and he yeah. wanted to basically make her as if she would have grown up um, I love the idea of Tyrell having been a replicant um, that, was, that would have been really interesting but the one thing that they don't tell us can replicants reproduce 
when I try to deal with that in the stupid sequel. <laughs> well, yeah, but you already said that doesn't exist. Well, it's just so yeah. terrible. Um, and also, it, it doesn't matter. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Things where you say, oh, it's ma- handled in the sequel, that has nothing to do with the movie itself. No, We don't it know doesn't. if replicants can mate, can breed. Um, my feeling is that the idea is, is that they can't, and the reason I, I would s- think so, I would because well, that would just make sense. I'm sorry, if you're going to design a slave race, you want to be able to control its numbers. And look at the size of that pyramid. Somebody's got to pay that tax. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, you, I mean, here's the Tyrell Corporation, more real than real, right? So you want people to keep buying your robots. You don't want them to be able to make their own, yeah. uh, except that they're not robots. It's obviously they're engineered. Um, yeah. And so they're basically people are going in there and doing everything from designing the perfect eye to the perfect skeletal system to the perfect musculature, et cetera, et cetera. Although the um, <clears throat> the scene where uh, uh, Daryl Hannah backflips and catches Deckard around the neck with her thighs, yeah, it's a guy. <laughs> oh, oh, really? <laughs> Same thing. They wore out poor Daryl Hannah, who could do that. Oh. That's one of the reasons she got the part. She had gymnastics training, uh, uh-huh. and she started flubbing the backflip because she had gotten so tired. And of course, her elbow had gotten broken in the stupid car thing. Uh, ah. So they found a guy. And if, the thing is, is if you look at the footage, and it's like, oh yeah, that's not Daryl. <laughs> 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 um, which is fine. Who cares? It, it fooled me. I never knew. Yeah. Yeah. Took me in. But you're right. If they don't address it in this film, it doesn't count. And they don't. And you, but I think it's, it would make no sense for them to have robots that could self replicate because then, you know, there's your business. Bye. Yeah. Uh, and also, there's, you know, something they don't touch on even in the second film, which is stupid, is does the child of a replicant have an inception date and a termination date? Uh, if it's genetically programmed, you would think the answer would be yes. Um, but of course, Rachel and Deckard and never mind. Uh, cause stupid, but, uh, I think we're getting to that point. Um, and I think it's cool because I don't think it's essentially clear with you. I mean, obviously I chose this, but, um, do you have any other notes that you wanted to get to before we get to the culmination? Well, you know, it's funny. There were one or two other things like when, when Roy is confronting Terrell, yep. and Terrell is explaining why he can't extend his life, I even when the first time I saw this, I the first thing that leapt into mind is, is Terrell lying? How would you know? Yeah, I mean, there's no way to tell, but just some of the way he delivers the lines, it's like, are you, is he like that because he's afraid of Roy, which would be understandable. Yes. <laughs> or, he's asha- or he's ashamed. Because he's tra- he you know he knows what he's done to his creation he's limited it or is there a way to do it and he doesn't want to tell him and I don't it, know it suddenly makes the chessboard a much more interesting symbol I never thought about it but now that you bring that up that chessboard suddenly becomes a symbol of the game that they're playing between each other right and that's pretty yeah, cool move and counter move yep and in effect at the end Roy kicks the board over right and the interesting part is if. Tyrell is a replicant, there's every indication that he doesn't know it himself. Yeah. Right? So when this one dies, we'll just make another Tyrell, because why should Tyrell die? It's like, we can have Disney forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Eventually they'll thaw him out or clone him or some such. Or they just keep his head like in Futurama. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. No, no. It's true. It's true. He's frozen at the bottom of Space Mountain. <laughs> uh, I saw it on the internet. That means it's true. Yeah. Okay. He's in the Yeti <laughs> costume and... Uh, <laughs> In the Matterhorn, okay. Uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, any other points you wanted to bring up before culmination? No, no, that, that was pretty much it. The Roundup. So, Max, what do you think of Blade Runner? Uh, I think it, it it's a difficult movie, but I think it's a, a really well-done movie. I think it's really good. It's not something I watch for fun, because <laughs> I don't think it's fun. It is not fun. It is dark, and it is unpleasant. And some ways it's it's kind of, it's showing its age, yeah. but it is an incredibly important movie. I think it's a huge influence. At, I think it's as big an influence on science fiction as Star Wars was. <laughs> Funny you should bring that up, but we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah obviously, I agree. I, I picked the film. I adore this film, and I think one of the reasons I adore it is for what it doesn't do, if you watch the right version. yeah. And it doesn't is, hand you things. No, it it treats the audience with some respect. Yes. It says you can think. Well, here's something to think about, and I'm not going to tell you what's right or wrong or what the 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 actual answer, if there is one, is. That's up to you. 
And in some cases, not answering the question is a stronger stance to take than answering it. Yeah. Sometimes it's much bolder, and it does require more on the part of the audience, and that is not a bad thing. No. People, I mean, the, gen, the common wisdom is that it is, is that people don't go to the movies to work. They, don't, they want to escape. They don't want to have to think. And that, you know, I don't accept that. I think there are some movies, sure, where that is the case. You want yeah. to just go and be entertained, but there is nothing wrong with seeing the movie that makes you work a little bit. And yeah. this makes you work. And there's layer after layer after layer of stuff. And yeah. this was one of the things that Ridley Scott apparently really loves to do. And so the art direction of this film is insane. And one of the reasons it looks so good, amazingly enough, was the writer's strike. There was a writer's strike that was happening during the making of this film. And suddenly the art department had, I think it was like eight or nine extra weeks to make sure they could get everything looking really cool. Well, but they... They design everything. Like, when you get on the bus, all of the little placards that are up there telling what you can and can't do are all made up. Things like you can't bring arm, you, you know, you can't discharge a weapon on the bus, stuff like that. <laughs> the parking meters have been redesigned. The fire hydrants have been redesigned. Everything. The, the look of this movie, I don't, I, very few movies have come close to this level of detail. And it is so evocative and so powerful. Every shot tells you something about this world. It's not just, ooh, this looks cool, but you go, my God, look at how huge all of those apartment buildings. Deckard lives on the 97th floor? Yeah. And it's still a crap hole? Yeah. Like, imagine that. What, what does that say? These buildings are so gigantic. The population must have been huge. And you see down on the street, everything, again, I, I love the street shots because on the street, everything looks really crowded. Everyone's shoving together. And for some reason, apparently, Los Angeles has Jawas now. <laughs> that was what I think, because there are a lot of little people. Yeah. I don't know what they were saying with that. Is that we're, we're, that that's because that's showing up in the birth rate, or people with dwarfism are no longer aren't allowed to emigrate? We don't know, but it raises a lot of questions. But it doesn't in a good way. Yeah. Not in yeah, a, it, I don't get it. This plot makes no sense kind of way, but in a this is an enrichment kind of way. Yeah, it's like as oh, this happened. It's not. It's not really essential to the plot, but it's making me wonder why is that there? What does that mean? Whereas a lot of movies are like a snack or a good sandwich. This movie's a meal. Yeah. There's a lot to chew on, and it's one of the I, visually too. I adore this film, considering oh, yeah. that there is no CG at all because um, there wasn't any. Yeah. Um, this is all miniature photography and matte painting, all old Hollywood in-camera special effects. Yeah, it um, looks beautiful. It, and the costumes are so incredible. Yeah. Uh, it's it, And they basically kind of wrote the 80s, right? Like, the Hot Topic owes everything to this film. <laughs> yeah, pretty well. Wow, black final trench coat. Check! <laughs> uh, it's... I have watched it many times. Like yourself, I don't watch it when I'm sad or depressed. It's not that kind of film. And it's the kind of film that I won't have on in the background. I need to watch it. And I keep finding new little things. Um, it is not a film for everyone. I tried to show this to my my bud, the Weasel. Hey, Weasel. Um, and the Weasel fell asleep, which uh. I understand. It's it's It demands that you pay attention. And a lot of people, that's not why they go to the films. And I'm fully okay with films that are there to be popcorn. That's cool. I don't need to get deep philosophical discussions from a Care Bears movie, you know, or the Smurfs, <laughs> you know, don't yeah, need Yeah, we it. never did get, we never get did get into the deep Hegelian logic of the uh, Smurfs <laughs> movie, and I assure you is there. Uh. But, uh... Yeah, so big vote from both of us. More so, I'm, I'm yep. guessing, a little bit more from me than Max. I think more from you. I think yeah. you love this. I, I really like this movie. I don't love it the way you do, but that's fine. Yeah. But um, speaking that, of loving was, and not loving films. Yeah, well, that was episode 99, and what's yeah. coming up next week? Well, I think we, uh, we well, we know. <laughs> I like how we pretend <laughs> we don't know. Right. Uh, we decided we wanted to do something special. Um, and we wanted, um, quite honestly, to torture ourselves. So we are not going to do a single movie next week. No, nope, we're, we're going to do all of them. <laughs> well, in essence, we are. We're not going to do two movies. We are going to go and look at the 11 films of the Star Wars franchise. Now, yeah. before you get your little internet panties in a wad, we are looking them at them as films. Just the films. Just the films. We are not wandering into snack food or trading cards 
or bubblegum. windows. No. Tat- neckties, tattoos, anything. We are looking at the 11 films, which includes all the numbered films, includes Rogue One, and includes Han Solo. And what we're going specifically to be doing is between the two of us deciding what we think is the best Star Wars has to offer in film. In film. And what the worst Star Wars has to offer in film. In July. In Nobody would... <laughs> <laughs> Nobody that's impossible. It makes no sense. No one would emphasize yeah, and in we are not doing a we're not doing a countdown. We're not gonna order no. order the room or rank them. We're gonna talk about Star Wars as a whole and what we think are the best and worst aspects of the films. And it will not be an eleven hour episode. <laughs> Well, we hope it's not going to be an eleven-hour episode. Yeah. So yeah. For so join us for episode one hundred. Yep. Our of Max Mike. hundredth episode. One hundredth episode. Not the hundredth we've done, but the hundredth no. numbered episode. Uh, episode one hundred, ladies and gentlemen, on Max Mike Films. Oh damn! Uh, uh, I can edit believe. that out, can't you? This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.